a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome to Inside Sources today on this very chilly Friday afternoon. Winter is quickly coming. It is, whether we want it to or not. Um, I am Robin Garfield. I am the producer of the show, filling in today as a guest host, along with... I'm Greg Scordis, and I'm the host today. Thank you, Robin, for being here with me today. I, I, I love doing this show, but it's fun when you have someone else with you, so I, I appreciate you being here today. Yeah, I'm excited. And I, Greg, you've been on a lot. I know people know who you are, either by reputation or profession, but give us just a quick... Introduce yourself to our, our listening audience. Uh, Utah resident my whole life. Uh, very old practice law for 37 years. Um, my wife and I live up in Eden, up in Ogden Valley. I do a lot of uh, criminal defense work, part-time ski patrol up at Powder Mountain Ski Resort, and uh, enjoy biking and hiking. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that you skied so much. That's coming up. We're trying to get my kids up. Uh, we moved here from California, and so we've got... Uh, it's one thing people, when you come here from any state, people say, well, do you ski? <laughs> my wife, who's lived here for half, more than half of her life, skis maybe once a year doesn't particularly enjoy it but it's one of those things that i I, we kind of get away from each other once in a while because we work we're both lawyers we work together a lot we we hang out and so i ski patrol on the weekends and she does her gig yeah we're trying to i skied as a lot as a child because there was a while where my father was over 55 and i was under 12 and so we skied for free i don't remember what resort it was but uh those were the glory days and it's been a long time since i've been skiing so i'm looking forward to it this year the senior citizen pass has increased every few years. So 55 is nothing anymore. Ah. I think it's now 65. I think it's even 70 at some resorts. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, those were those were some good days. Uh, all right. Well, we're, we've got a great show uh, today. We're going to run down just a quick little introduction here. Uh, we're we're going to go over some of the news of the day because, uh, Greg, there is so much going on in national politics. Uh, There's a lot going on with the uh, impeachment, uh, news about uh, some financial records that are going to be perhaps unsealed, and and other issues with the Trump administration, which is always interesting news. Yeah, always. It keeps us journalists busy. I'll say that. Trump does not. uh, We have plenty of material to go from with this presidency. Uh, We are going to talk uh, later on in the the show with Robin Clark. Uh, She is from the uh, school of the Utah School of the Deaf and Blind, and they are having an event tonight called it's a it's called White Cane Day today, and they are going to blind students will teach the sighted how to navigate the world. Uh, so she'll be on air. I think that'll be really interesting. I'm dis- looking forward to I'm looking forward to talking with her. Yeah, absolutely. And then I asked Greg because he is obviously a defense lawyer to kind of break down some of the issues with this adoption ring uh, news story that's been in the forefront right now. It's wild. I mean, it's a very interesting case, and I'm looking forward to talking about it. We're, we're going to break it down a little bit because the, the, the charges were recently unsealed. They were sealed until just a, a day or two ago, um, but it's a fascinating case, and I actually worked a case very similar to this a couple of years ago. So it, it, human trafficking is what it is at its core, but the facts of this case are really troubling. Yeah, and it's not something that didn't just happen yesterday. This has been ongoing. It yeah, seems for like about two and a half years. For a while. That's that's crazy. Uh, Spencer Hall from Rocky Mountain Power will be on to talk about some winter safety guides. Uh, my husband and I were just asking 
the internet yesterday about how to drain our sprinklers. I don't know if he'll be able to speak to that because he's from Rocky Mountain Power. But there are some things that we need to do for the winter months to right. get ready. And there are some things that the folks in California wish they had done in, with respect to their power company that uh, has really caused some problems. And we're going to talk about that a little bit, just that whole shutdown that they're doing yeah, in California. Yeah, I've got so many friends texting me and sending me messages that were out of power just as a preemptive measure to right. anyway, a lot of interesting stuff. Also, Scott Howell will be talking with a, about a big announcement that came out huge this morning. Huge news, huge news. The University of Utah is hosting one of four major political debates in the next year. There are three presidential debates and one one only vice presidential debate, and that's going to be held at our University of Utah. I think it's huge news, and, and it'll be it'll be a lot of fun. Kingsbury Hall. Yeah, it'll be uh, Utah. They, they, they were in the running for a presidential debate. I'm not quite sure if that's shaken out yet, but this will be a vice presidential debate next year. We're still a year out from this, but it will be hosted at the University yeah, of Utah. Yeah, October of 2020. Yep. Uh, that's big news. All right. Uh, we will have to end this segment with all of our hosts' favorite. As I am guest hosting today, I get the uh, esteemed privilege of giving, here we go, giving Uh-oh. Greg Scordis a news quiz. We did this once before, and I think I, I got a C plus, so I'm looking forward <laughs> to increasing my Well, I've got some fun stories here. here. We only have about uh, three and a half minutes right. to, to wrap this all up. So there are these, uh, you know, these headlines are all over the place. We've got some from entertainment, some from politics. Let's just start with this, and Greg... I don't know. Maybe you have nothing to comment on this, but this news story made now, me Now, keep in giggle. mind that I have not been primed on any of nope, these. Nope, this so. is cold. Here we go. Okay. So the band Kiss from the 70s, 80s, you know, you right. know the band. I don't know if you heard about this. They are going to be performing on a submarine off the coast of Australia for the Sharks. On November 18th, they are giving a concert to the Sharks. Have you heard about this? Do you have any, Are you a Kiss fan? Not at all. I saw them once in concert. I'm old enough to remember that. And I remember one thing funny about them. I'll be very quick, Robin. They did a concert once or twice without any of their makeup, and nobody liked it. <laughs> so it, part of their show is the show. And, and the so I think the Sharks will enjoy it. I, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing how that shakes out. Yeah, right. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, this was a legal... Uh, headline, so I thought this one would be good for our expertise today. Uh, the California has adopted the broadest U.S. rules for seizing guns. Uh, California Governor Gary Newsom signed a law that will make the state the first to allow employers, coworkers, and teachers to seek gun violence restraining orders against other people. Just massive gun control. There, there's a push all over the country with what they call the red flag laws, which allow, which allow individuals to go and petition a court to take the firearms away from a, an individual gun owner who may pose a threat, who's doing something that's that's making others nervous. So this is sort of an expansion of that. The Second Amendment folks and the, the gun rights people will certainly have a say in how that's implemented. Right. Um, I'm going to actually, since we only have about a minute and a half, I'm going to take this very thick political one I have off of my list and just get straight to my, uh, we just had the movie show this morning. Uh-oh. Uh, Pop culture, movies, entertainment is sort of my wheelhouse. Uh, so I looked up what movies were coming out today. The big movie of today is the Adams Family movie. It's the cartoon. I mean, they've been remaking and remaking and remaking Adams Families. Are you going to go see I, it? No, not in a million years. But I do remember the Adams. I'm old enough to remember the Munsters and the Adams Family, the real uh, shows that they, they published back or in, produced rather back in this probably 60s and 70s. A lot of fun when you're 12 or 13 years old. Maybe not so fun when you're over 60. Yeah, I saw somebody said the Adams Family are trying to, I think it was an Onion headline, are, are trying to see if they can make it in the modern world one more time, one more time. One more, that's always the, yeah. the, the story arc. Right. Can they make it in the, in the modern world? But the world? characters are, 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 are 
you know, timeless. So we can always remake an Adams Family movie. Yeah, they they are Wednesday. They're all they're all endearing. Um, the other question I was going to ask is, have you seen or are you going to see the Joker movie? No, I mean that one is all. Maybe when it comes out on home, whatever you call it, when you can watch it in the privacy of your basement, it's not the kind of thing I'd go pay money at a cinema. Or to first see. in line it looks a little creepy to yeah, me. It looks does. a little troubling. All right. Okay. You passed our our news quiz. Uh, Those are all the headlines I have for you today, Greg. Uh, So we can move. I'll put this piece of paper in the garbage. We can. How'd I do? You did great. Oh, better than last time? Yeah. Okay. I I think you did. You did just fine. So uh, coming up next, we are going to talk about uh, some news of the day. And we want to ask for your random acts of kindness. And we'll explain what that means uh, coming up in our next segment here on Inside Sources. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Inside Sources uh, on this Friday afternoon. I am your producer and filling in just as a, a bit of a host today, Robin Garfield, along with... The host, Greg Scordis, and I'm happy to be here, Robin. It's fun. It is. Uh, you know, this show has had some transitions, and I know a lot of our listeners have been kind of paying attention to all the, the, the changes, but it, it has been a fun for me to get oriented to, and to meet so many amazing members of our community uh, like you, Greg, uh, with all of your expertise and... and uh, it seems like every day when we have a new guest host, I get to learn something new that I didn't know about Utah. So it's been a lot of fun. Um, real quick at the beginning of this segment, because we're going to get into some thick politics here, uh, impeachment, tax returns, uh, talking about some of the subpoenas yesterday and arrests. Uh, we would like to just spend a moment, uh, we were talking about this earlier, and ask for a favor from our listeners. Uh, a few months ago was, uh, in September, was National uh, Suicide Awareness Month, and we did a whole bunch of, of coverage on it. And in the middle of all that, we asked some of our reporters here at KSL to submit uh, for the show some of their random uh, stories of random acts of kindness that they had received from people in the, it could be a friend, it could be a, a stranger, and we played some of their stories on air. And today, at the end of, today, at the end of the show, we would like to play some of your voicemails and get some of your stories from our listeners, some random acts of kindness that have happened to you uh, that really stand out. Maybe a minute, a uh, minute and a half. Call in to the voicemail line. Call at- us up and, and just give us a, a little vignette, something that, that has struck you, that, that, like you say, we can play in 30, 40, 60 seconds. A random act of kindness. We're going to play them back. Right. Uh, call in at 801-575-7668. And leave us something nice, because we have had a lot of anger this week. <laughs> you mentioned Trump and impeachment and Mitt Romney. There's a lot of, you know, controversy going on in Utah right now. So today at 2.35-ish, we want to just have a whole segment and play your random acts of kindness. So that's we're asking, Greg and I are asking for you to call in, 
801-575-7668 and leave us a nice story. Random act of kindness. Random act of Looking forward to that. Okay. Greg, we're going to now jump into impeachment and some of the news of the day. Just give us a quick update. Uh, I mean, I guess I should ask you, and as a as a guest host today, you are you are more than liberty to opinionate on some of these issues. But what? Just quick, you know, at a glance, what has been your take on all the the news last week? Obviously, Pelosi coming out announce, announcing impeachment hearings against President Donald Trump. I think nobody wanted to proceed with the impeachment inquiry. I don't think Democrats wanted to do it because it could has the great potential to backfire on them. I don't think the Republicans want to do it because it's going to expose the president for, let's admit, for a lot of the things that we know he is. I mean, he's not a particularly honest man. He hasn't been upfront with his taxes. He hasn't been upfront with his finances. Um, he, he uses words in a way that are very troubling. And, and we've sort of held back on this impeachment inquiry because it's it's so political that I think everyone knows that it's going to come down on Republican versus Democrat. And the Democrats just don't have the, the numbers in the Senate to to have a formal impeachment. But he's he's take this Ukrainian thing has taken us to a step where I think uh, Speaker Pelosi decided we do, we have to do something. If we if this doesn't amount to an impeachable offense, then then what does? So that the House is going to start their they, – they're sort of the investigative arm of this. They're almost like the prosecutors, if you will, um, that, that look into an impeachment inquiry, present the case, they vote on it, and then the, the actual impeachment trial is in front of the Senate. I think it would be a fascinating thing. I, I think for, for a civics lesson, it would be huge. But for an embarrassment for the country, uh, it would be something we, we should avoid. Uh, there, we all know – there's an election next year. The 2020 election's coming up. Um, the Democrats are lining up. I just saw uh, on, on KSL that there's a debate coming up when there's still 12 viable candidates. We're doing, the Democrats rather, are doing a terrible job of whittling that down and coming with a, a strong candidate that, that, that sort of speaks for, for the party. And that's just part of how it works. And the Republicans are sort of sitting back going, you guys beat, beat each other up as much as you can. So this impeachment, I guess, gives the Democrats a chance to, to beat up the incumbent a little bit and see what he's done and what he, what he has created for himself uh, that could be an impeachable offense. And I think he's in a little bit of trouble. I think we're going to have some, some issues come up and some embarrassment to him. And, you know, a lot of people have said, well, the Democrats have been talking about impeachment. Uh, Mitch McConnell actually wrote a statement on the day that Nancy Pelosi announced the, the hearings were going to proceed, saying on the day that Trump was elected, Washington Post published an article about here's all the things we can impeach this guy for. You know, uh, they've been coming yeah, for him from day it's one. It's only a matter of time, right? Yeah. But we, We've all sort of known that. This one, for you know— Reading about it this week, especially from a news angle, does it have teeth? Does it not? That's been the big debate. Did anything happen in that July phone call uh, with Ukrainian President Zelensky? And now we have uh, Rick Perry has been subpoenaed. There's so many players entering the stage, entering the field. Um, there's a, a soundbite I'd like to play from Tom Yamas, uh, who is an ABC reporter. He is in Kiev today, and he spoke with uh, Ukrainian President Zelensky, who is holding a 14-hour press event today. This man, whether he got caught in the, the crosshairs or whatever, is really trying to get ahead of whatever story is out there. But here's what uh, Tom Yamas from uh, ABC had to say about this event. 
Ukrainian president, uh, Mr. Zelensky, just behind me here at this food mart where he's having a media marathon. He says he's going to speak to reporters for 10 hours straight. And we were invited to this sort of news conference with other journalists. We sat down at a dinner table with Mr. Zelensky and we were able to ask him some very direct questions. Now, he's already made some headlines today from this news conference. He said he does not feel like he was blackmailed by President Trump on that phone call. And he also said he will not blackmail uh, the United States because of, of that phone call. But I asked him very directly, I said, you, you're somebody who campaigned on corruption. Do you think that uh, a president is corrupt if he asks a foreign nation to investigate a political rival? Here's what he said. What do you think of a president asking a foreign nation to investigate a political rival? Is that corrupt? I think that this is not corruption because it was it, it was just called and he said you know we are tied from any corruption things and you know and there now now president Zelensky says he is not corrupt because he hasn't broken any laws when i pressed him do you think president trump was corrupt for asking you as many have criticized the president for for basically doing him a political favor by investigating Burisma, the company that was connected uh, to hunter biden he says he will not judge the president but he would not answer the question i also asked him why his new prosecutor general who he said was 100 percent his person when he spoke to president trump is now investigating that ukrainian company he really didn't have an answer for me he says he wants to investigate all of corruption but he would not say he did that specifically for president trump all right that was thomas tom yamas uh from an abc reporter on he's in kiev today at this press and president Zelensky, the ukrainian president is between a rock and a hard place he did get his quarter of a billion dollars and i suppose that was that was going to have to come no matter what after the phone call but he's also probably angling for future contributions future help i mean let's face it uh, there's the russian threat all the time in ukraine and they want to have a strong border they want to have some protection there they want to have the united states behind them he's the new president. He wants to stay president. And um, when Donald Trump calls and says, hey, uh, I need a little look-see into something that's going on here. And by the way, we've got some military money we're about to free up for you. Uh, how you doing? I mean, what else can we expect from that? And what else can we expect Zelensky to say except, I don't think anything was inappropriate here. He was congratulatory. That's where we are. Looking forward to working with uh, President Trump in the future. And I wish this whole thing would go away, I think, is what he what he's really trying to say. Yeah, you hear when uh, Tom Yamas asked him, point out, you know, you ran on an anti-corruption platform. This is your whole thing. Do you feel like you've you've crossed a line? You know, obviously, like you said, what's he going to say? Yeah, yes, but, I, I was involved in corruption. No, he's not going to. Yeah, this was not a this was not an act of corruption. This was uh, two presidents talking to each other about the congratulatory election and gee what are our countries doing now with respect to each other yeah it's 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 a tangled mess and uh it's interesting that now it's an it's kind of spreading out there was this announcement uh trump on was it monday that he announced the troop removal from syria which has created this kind of vacuum of well if you look at what's happening in in, with turkey and syria it's just it's it's appalling it's almost like another uh it's just it's just these troops coming in and uh the what the Syrian Kurds are being attacked it's it's almost like a racial cleansing type of thing i mean and and the turks are saying there's this huge uh, uh core of terrorists there that we're trying to get rid of and they're jumping in but boy what a mess that is what 
horrible video we're seeing there. Yeah, and it, it has created, you know, we had Mitt Romney on uh, Dave and Jan- Dejanovic this week talking about some of his thoughts. It is not, it is becoming a split partisan issue. It's not going straight along party lines, which is really interesting. And uh, we have to, we're going to go to our news here in just a minute. When we come back, we're going to be talking more about the tax return issue and some more news of the day. Stay tuned to Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back to Inside Sources. I'm uh, producer Robin Garfield along here with Greg Sportis. Greg, Welcome. how you doing? I'm doing great. This is fun. It this is, is good. It is fun. Uh, you know, can we say fun and impeachment in the same 10 minutes? <laughs> we're going to. <laughs> uh, we were just talking in the last segment about uh, some of the thicker issues of impeachment. Uh, we're going to kind of move along now and it just it's, this is one of those things you pick up one of the stick and you there's so many things that have have come crawling out of the story but we learned uh there's been this uh tax return ongoing saga with president trump over his tax returns that just of all the weeks seems to be bubbling up right now right so what happened robin is that the the house committee on oversight and reform subpoenaed records from trump's financial advisors and it's a it's an outfit called Mazars M A Z A R S U S A which i assume is an accounting firm that does his books they subpoenaed those and of course the administration filed a lawsuit to block that and said they're private they're not related to anything that the government necessarily needs to know about um the the court in the district of columbia ruled in favor of the of Congress and said the records need to be released. So the administration appealed that to the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals, and the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals said just very recently that they do need to release those records. And And it's not tax returns necessarily. It's what we call financial records, which I would assume includes tax returns. But you know what? what's really interesting about this, Robin? You, you read this article and uh, it's from the Associated Press about the release of these records. And the last, the last paragraph of the article is what breaks your heart, and that is to say that they, they actually look at the judges that ruled on this in terms of which president appointed them. So it was a two-to-one decision by the D.C. Circuit in favor of Congress and, and sort of against the, the president – but the a dissenting judge was appointed by, you guessed it, uh, Donald Trump. And the presiding judges, the ones that got their way, were pres- were appointed by President Barack Obama and President Clinton. And as an attorney, that's not supposed to be the issue. That's not where we're supposed to be making these decisions. And that's why every time now we look at issues that are coming toward the Supreme Court, we say, okay – of who are the justices there and who appointed them, and we all know how they're going to rule. That's that's not the way judges. Well, are and it's interesting. I think it was Gorsuch, and I'd have to look it up. Who said a few weeks ago? You know, we don't always vote along party lines. We don't always act along whoever appointed us. And everybody went, mm-hmm. Yeah, right, right. But that hasn't been that hasn't been history at all. No. You know, and and it's sad also because judges are appointed. A lot of people don't know this. It's a lifetime tenure. That is to say, they're not they're not beholden to the voters. They're not beholden to public opinion, which it, which is supposed to free them up to their objectivity. No matter who appointed them, no matter what administration appointed them, they once they're on the bench, once they've got those robes on, nobody cares about what prior history they have, what prior political leanings they may have had, what contributions they may have made. Let's just let's just decide issues based on the law. And we're still going back to say, okay, here are the judges that are deciding this. We've got three appointed by Democrats. We've got two appointed by Republicans. 
therefore it's going to go this way. On another issue, we've got maybe five to four in favor of the Republicans, so it's going to go that way. And that's that's not what our courts were ever designed to do. And as an attorney, you just look at that and think that shouldn't ever be – I never want to see that in an article. How, who appointed the judges when we look at how they decided their – That should be based on the law. Absolutely. Yeah. What Absolutely. do they call it, activist judges or, or activism from the bench? Right. Yeah. Which, is, which is what we what we absolutely shy away from. Right. And it is interesting with the financial records coming out. I, I was listening to a news report this morning on how the implications of what they could find. I guess they're looking to see if Donald Trump, President Trump, paid any hush money to Stormy Daniels and some of the other people involved in this 2016 during the election, if he paid money, essentially hush money. And if so, did they violate New York state law? And if that's the case. He's got all kinds of problems. And what they're really looking at here are his financial records from 2011 to 2018, and they're doing an investigation. This is the House Committee on Oversight and Reform. They're doing an investigation on his reporting of his finances and potential conflicts of interest. So they're looking at his finances, who he's got, in, or what he's got investments in, and whether or not any of that poses a conflict of interest for him as president. I mean, anyone who's elected to a political office almost has to divest themselves of their um, investments or sort of political leanings and that type of thing. And it's it's impossible for a billionaire like Donald Trump. He's, he's going to be back uh, as a citizen again someday. He's going to be running his enterprise again someday. And I'm sure that he's very interested in making sure that that, that multi-billion dollar enterprise is worth even more after his presidency. I mean, I think that's one of his major goals. So he, he doesn't want to sort of divulge all these things that he's got going on. He doesn't want the public to know, for example, what little taxes he paid over the years. I think that would be a huge embarrassment for him. And I think there's also potential embarrassment when when they start evaluating some of the entities that he's got investments in and how they could potentially be tied to uh, political activities that he's now overseeing. Yeah, I think it's so interesting when we say, uh, oh, he had a conflict of interest or she had a conflict of interest. Every politician has a financial conflict sure, of interest. you can't avoid it. Absolutely. At, at some point, whether the, the question here is whether or not, A, it's impeachable or he did something illegal. And he has been calling, I, I listened to some of his uh, commentary in eight, from last April when he said that, you know, the president can't be investigated for these sorts of things. And now there's a whole other can of worms that's been opened about what you can and can't uh, accuse a president or, or, or uh, convict a president of while he's in office and all of these very, you know, I was talking to Doug Wright a, a while ago, we've had him on the show, and we were talking about in the 90s when Bill Clinton was impeached. That was a little more straightforward in that he just lied under oath, but the right. things that had happened were more unseemly rather than just straight up legal other than the, the perjury. Right. But we've got stuff coming into the field now with our current president, whether or not it's illegal, whether or not he's done anything. These are much heavier, weightier, meatier issues and they have a they have more to do with the office of the presidency instead of maybe moral misconduct or something like that. This is something that takes us back to Nixon. It, it it's an inquiry that was going on during that administration. I mean, every president's facing inquiries and people that are questioning his judgment um, and questioning uh, his his things that he's involved in and that type of thing. That that will always occur. The Republicans are always going to be taking a microscopic view of the Democrats and vice versa. And maybe that's maybe that's the checks and balances that we want. But but in this case, it 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 is tied to the presidency. It, what is what they're looking at this conversation with President Zelensky from the Ukraine? I mean, that's that's two presidents talking right. it's not it's not an investor or trump as a as a billionaire talking to a 
friend from overseas. I mean, these are two presidents talking, and it it's clear that there was we can call it quid pro quo, but it was clear there was some objective there other than just to congratulate Zelensky on winning the presidency of the Ukraine. Right. And the words of Monty Python is a little more wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Right. uh, I think, you know, if watching House of Cards has taught me anything, it's that there is always an embroiled illegal political scandal going on. And there's a lot of backdoor talks. It's whether or not these are, like I said, when they bubble up into the public eye, what is and isn't impeachable. Uh, Watching, you know, a lot of TV has taught me that that there's a lot of corruption constantly happening in White in, in Washington. It's just our job, you know, as a journalist to, to undig it and to figure out what's going on. But whether or not this has teeth, uh, the Democrats sure think, seem to think there is something to this impeachment inquiry at the moment. So uh, and the president always has the same response: "It's a witch hunt." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe the biggest, it is. the biggest witch hunt in right. the history the right. of the world since the last one, since last week. Right. <laughs> All right, coming up next on Inside Sources, we will be talking to Robin Clark from the Utah Schools for the Blind on uh, White Cane Day and uh, maybe how we can help some of our friends uh, uh, in the blind community. Uh, stay tuned on Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Inside Sources. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Inside Sources. Uh, I am Robin Garfield today, along with Greg Scordis. We are talking about all sorts of things from impeachment to uh, power to international politics. We're going to talk about this crazy adoption story uh, coming up next. Uh, I would like to, before we get into our next topic, would remind you, please, to our listeners, if you have any random acts of kindness stories, uh, call into our voicemail line, 801-575-7668, and we will play them at the end of the show today to kind of lighten the mood a little bit. Also, uh, weigh in on the conversation through the Utah Community Credit Union text line. Text us your comments to 57500. Uh, in, in this next moment, I am very excited to talk about an event that's happening today up at the State Capitol building on White Cane Day. Uh, Blind students will teach the sighted how to navigate the world, which is a really interesting topic. And with us on the line is Robin Clark from the Utah School for the Blind. Robin, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm excited about our event tonight. Oh, it's so wonderful. Um, I have Greg Scordis here. We'd like to know a little bit more about the event. Well, this is a special night for our school at the Utah School for the Blind. It's actually celebrating a national holiday called White Cane Day. And White Cane Safety Day actually is next week, but due to fall break, our school is celebrating it this Friday night at the state capitol. And it is a super fun night where all of our students, their family, and our friends come out and we just celebrate how awesome it is to use your white cane to celebrate our community and to kind of shed a little light because most people don't know very much about the vision impairment community. And we want to show that ability is always stronger than disability. And so we have a great event planned for everyone tonight. Um, Our theme is called Utah Loves Mobility. And every year we do a really fun theme. But this year we are at the state capitol. And if you've ever visited the state capitol, it is an iconic place to visit. It's beautiful. But many of the displays are behind glass. And if you can't see, then you don't get to take in the history. So what we've done is brought all of Utah's history to an interactive, accessible opportunity for our students. We've replicated what's behind the glass and the display cases. We have different things from national parks to local sports to all the famous local people. We have characters running around where you can interact and really learn about Utah history. 
We're speaking with Robin Clark from the Utah School for the Blind. Uh, Robin, uh, it's tonight at the Utah State Capitol uh, celebrating yes. White Cane Day uh, from 6 to 9. You kept saying the word we. We are getting this. We are putting this together. Who is we? Who, who, who is this group that's putting this on? It is the Utah School for the Blind. It's an event that we do every year for our whole state, and it's free of charge. So uh, for those of us that are looking for something on a Friday night, and the Capitol is always a wonderful place to go, what would we expect to see? What would a person who, who decided to show up at this event uh, participate in? Well, there are at least 15 different booths full of interactive activities, games, and general information. You can come get blindfolded and learn how to write Braille or walk with a white cane. You can play a trivia game about learning about our state parks. There are a number of things and entertainment. We've got face painters and puppeteers that will be walking around. So lots of fun entertainment. And, of course, well, we have a French fry bar featuring Utah's favorite fry sauce. Yum, yum. Well, that's reason to go right there. Robin, tell us about the the Utah School for the Blind. Is it is it a K twelve school? Is it here in Salt Lake City? I mean, I'm embarrassed. I've lived in Utah my entire Don't life, be. and I've I heard of it many, many times. But that, what is it? Tell us about it. So the Utah School for the Blind is part of the Utah Schools for the Deaf and the Blind, and we actually service students all the way from babies up to 21 years old. We have three awesome campuses in Ogden, Salt Lake, and a new one being built in Springville. But a bulk of the services that we offer are for our outreach kiddos. And these are students that live in their neighborhood schools, attend their local local school districts, live at home, and we provide teachers that go out to their schools. We also do a number of summer programs. We do monthly camps for students, all free of charge for all of our students. So the Utah School for the Blind services kids who are totally blind, low vision, or deaf blind. And it's a really great opportunity. So come check us out. So you said that the theme this year is Utah Loves Mobility. Tell us how you came to that, why you chose that theme, and what it means for the state of Utah. Well, every year we like to pick a theme that connects our students to our community because we really believe that we want to see our students successful and thriving in their local communities. In the past, we've been at the Discovery Gateway Museum and we did the science of mobility and we featured science. But this year, we wanted to go to the state capitol, one, because it's an iconic location. You can see it from a distance. It's a marvelous place to be. And as I was walking around the state capitol, I thought, Let's celebrate Utah history. Again, all these great display cases of all these fantastic artifacts, but they were behind glass and not accessible to our students. And so did a little Utah history research, and we've decided to celebrate everything from our national parks to our beehive state. Why are we called the beehive state? To our pioneer history. And we've just decided that that's what we need to do is celebrate how wonderful our state is with accessible activities for everybody, really. And Robin, can we expect uh, a number of students there that will be participating in this and meeting with us oh, and talking to the people absolutely. and, and even, even you younger will find people? Students who are, oh, yes, you will find babies all the way up to our young adults. We, of course, invite all of our adults. Um, friends who have vision impairments. And so if you, again, if you've never had a chance to meet a blind person, this is a great opportunity to come up and see that, you know, our big motto is it's not about what we see, 
It's about what we do. And this is a great opportunity for our community to come check it out. Robin, we just have about a minute and a half left from one Robin to another Robin. Um, I have three little boys, uh, three small children. If I bring them there, what what can you just suggest in general, maybe outside of the specifics of the event, as a parent or, or someone who works with children, how can we better talk to our kids about some of their friends or other children who have disabilities, especially like blindness? Uh, how, how is, what's, I mean, I know this is a 45 minute long conversation. I'm asking you to stick into a minute, but what are some ways as a parent I can talk to my children about some of their peers who uh, have some of these uh, special needs? Oh, I love that you asked that question. You know what? The biggest thing to always remember about people with disabilities is they're more alike than they are different. And so if you focus on what makes you the same, you'll really get to know the person. The second is ability is always stronger than disability. Mm. So teach your kids to see ability before they see that disability because everybody has something that makes them a little unique. And then the third thing is don't stare. Ask a question. Feel free. Ask, ask what it is. Learn about it. Inclusion matters. And don't be afraid because you know what? Our kids love to be part of things, and they should be, but sometimes they need that invitation. So even if you're a little scared, take a deep breath, extend your hand, and include everybody. Oh, I love that. I, you know, and I see it with children. Kids are so much less encumbered than adults are even when it comes to asking, you know, hey, what's going on? What, what, you know, why do you have that cane? Where are you in that wheelchair? As adults, we get sometimes a lot more self-conscious about asking these questions. But my, you know, my five-year-old will go up to someone, you know, hey, what, you know, and people are always so happy to talk about it. It's not that they're ashamed to talk about it. You know, if they ask, even if they don't ask it in the right way as a little kid. Uh, Robin right. Clark, thank you so much for joining us. And I would say this, if the event tonight has half the energy that you have just in listening to you, it's going to be a blast. And so I encourage anyone that's listening uh, to go to the state capitol tonight uh, for the uh, friends and family turnout. It's uh, honoring White Cane Day for the visually in- impaired. Uh, it's a state capitol from 6 to 9 tonight. There are going to be, it sounds like, 15 booths and vendors and people and, and students there. Uh, very interactive, it sounds like. So good luck tonight. Robin, thank you so much oh, for joining us so today. Much. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Coming up next on our show, uh, I am going to talk to Mr. Greg Scordis about his area of expertise. Uh, the law. It, uh, the law and legal legalese about this uh, adoption. I don't want to call it a scandal, but, you know, for lack of a better word, that is happening uh, right now in Utah and some surrounding states. Stay tuned to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Inside Sources. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Inside Sources. I'm Robin Garfield, along today with your host, Greg Scordis. Greg Scordis. I'm, I'm, I'm doing that uh, point, point and say your name game. Uh, we've been talking to Greg about the adoption, uh, some of the litigation that's come out in the last week about an adoption attorney uh, from Arizona, also practicing in a few other states, who has been indicted on 32 counts of uh, various different frauds, uh, frauds, that's charges, fraud, yeah, fraudulent, fraudulent charges, charges. Uh, in Arizona. He's mm-hmm. been indicted on 11 counts recently in Arkansas, 11 felonies that just here alone in Utah. And and by the way, all of these charges, every one of these counts carries a potential prison term of up to five years, up to 15 in some. I assume that the federal charges could be even longer than that. The Utah case alone, uh, just so you 
you know, Robin, and I'm looking over the probable cause statement, and this is just a just is just a statement that the attorney generals in Utah have written up to support the issuance of a warrant. So it's not necessarily fact, but it's based on their their investigation at this point. We haven't heard the other side to this yet, and, and I think we need to withhold judgment until we do that. But according to this probable cause statement, adoptive parents, people who wanted a baby, would pay this agency thirty five thousand dollars. So they'd pay twenty five thousand up front. And then they would pay 10000 after delivery of the baby. The attorney general's office subpoenaed his bank records uh, for these accounts. And between December 6th of 2016 and September of 2018, he had deposited $2.7 million into the account and indicated that those transfers were – they had notes in terms of the transfers that they were for the adoptions. Now, the the, the birth mothers – uh, these women that had come from the Marshall Islands uh, were given $10,000, most of them. And I think there's some allegation that some of them never got what they were promised, which is the basis of some of the counts here, the communications fraud. But there was a home in West Valley uh, that was arguably owned by um, this Peterson or uh, it looks like his paralegal where these women would go and they would sleep on the floor. They would sleep in the room. They would sleep wherever they could. Um, and for the few days that they were there before they could get ready to deliver their baby. And then they would be taken to local hospitals where they would deliver the babies, and then those kids would be taken from them immediately to these birth parents uh, throughout the state who were probably at that point enjoying the greatest moment of their life. And I'm sure that some of them are just, just shivering right now, wondering, okay, what's going to happen now two years later? Well, we were chatting about this during the break. That, I think, is the big question on so many people's minds. What will happen to these children? Because as you brought up, if things were not done legally, the birth mothers have yeah, a claim. Yeah, so the, the attorney general is saying, the attorney general in Utah has seems to be saying, look, don't panic. These kids are in good families. That's where they're going to say, stay. We're not going to come and take babies out of the house. That's great, and that sounds really good. But based on the charges alone, they've they've alleged that the birth mothers were defrauded. So if a birth mother from the Marshall Islands decides, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, and, and let's hope that it doesn't. But if that birth mother decides that she was defrauded and she was lied to, she could come to a Utah court and petition that that entire transaction, that entire adoption be set aside because it was based on a misrepresentation and she would not have done it had she known that she was going to be lied to and had she known all of the facts surrounding it and she wants her baby back. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm not even saying that's going to be easy to for, for these birth mothers to prove. Um, but I don't think that it's safe for us to assume, and I'm not trying to be a doomsdayer, I'm really not, that, that the, nothing's going to happen and we're just going to put this man in jail and he's going to be punished for what he did because there's the, the end of the story, which is now what do we do with these? Are the, are the birth mothers victims? Are the adopting parents victims? Are the babies victims? We're going to sort that out. And when I first heard the story, my initial reaction was, well, how bad is this? He provided children for people who needed children, adoption. But then once I've looked into this, the ethical implications, especially when I've looked into some of the, the medical treatment that these women received during the, the delivery that was at hospitals. But imagine even having someone on an airplane at 
eight and a half months pregnant is I, you know, I've had three kids and I can't imagine someone saying, you know, get on an airplane, you may deliver in two or three days, take an international travel, you know, flight, bring you, bring you to Utah, have you sleep on a floor. There's a lot more to this than just a man providing children for, for, for families who couldn't have children. Right. And, and adoption is a beautiful thing. I mean, I would say this, when, when I go to court, you can you can always tell the people that are there for an adoption because they're smiling. <laughs> Nobody else that goes to court is necessarily there for something good. Mm-hmm. In fact, most of us go there because it's a brown a bad day. But you see these families and they're walking out and you've got a you've got a daddy and a mommy and they're holding this little baby with a little ribbon in their hair and they're just happy and there's family members there. It's 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 a joyous event. Um and, and that's what it should be. And so I, I mean there's a right way to do this. There's a legal way to do this, and there's a legal way to do this even when you're dealing with people who are coming from another jurisdiction. Um, But you can't have somebody come to Utah or come to the United States with the sole and only purpose of giving up a baby for adoption. I want to speak to this. We just got a text in uh, on the our text line that is. I think this is a very important topic to bring up. They said, you and every other news outlet are overgeneralizing the adoptions done through this attorney, not all women that placed... Uh, not all women that place children were flown in from the islands. The children aren't taken from the birth mothers immediately. They aren't swooped up. Many of the adoptive families still have contact with the birth families. Um, this is actually a good point. We're speaking specifically to the criminal charges that have been brought up in these specific cases. Obviously, there are adoptions that have been done, and there are most adoptions that happen are done very ethically, very, like you were saying, everybody's happy at the end of the day. Uh, we're speaking very specifically to, sure, to no these question. criminal but 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 I think even even the the person that wrote that is speaking about this. I, I I can't imagine that this accused this Mr. Peterson did this with ill intent. I mean he's he's arguably or allegedly trying to help people get a baby. I mean that's a huge thing, and he did that. So you can look at it and say, well, he he accomplished his goal. And he he allowed parents who maybe couldn't conceive or were having, having a hard time having a baby or just wanted one more kid uh, get something that was priceless to them. And he's also helping birth mothers who potentially are in a position where they're just not able to raise a child. They're 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 just not you know they're just not really in a mindset where they want to start being a mommy. Uh, sort of give up a child in an adoption setting, which is healthy and and beautiful for everyone. It's the way that he did it that's being questioned here. Not not necessarily adoption. I mean, that's fine. We, 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 we're going to continue to do adoptions in this state. There's probably one going on right this second over here at Third District Court, as as it should be. And and I think that your, your texter is probably right, that, hey, you know, maybe there wasn't just taking the baby right out of the mother's arms, but they, they weren't there hanging out for a couple of months. I mean, most of these people came to Utah, it appears, from the probable cause statement, with a flight and a return flight that were within days of each other. I mean, they weren't here spending the, the summer visiting the new adoptive parents and making sure everything's going to go okay. They're literally, like you just said, Robin, at the, the 11th hour before delivery, and they're flying out minutes or days, I should say, after the delivery, almost every time, at least in the 40 instances that are part of this probable cause statement. And whether or not this agency had wonderful experiences and things happened, you know, on the level, that's great. But I, you know, I have spoken this week to a few uh, firsthand accounts that have to be off the record because of, you know, medical record uh, privacy issues of people working in the industry who did see firsthand some of these instances of women coming in at the very last minute, you know, an hour before delivering, giving birth in the hospital, 
uh, with no records, no medical records, no real knowledge about that the, the medical staff had no knowledge about who the women were or any of the history. And then, you know, it not happening in a way that, you know, again, as someone who has given birth, you know, I had... I knew my doctor. I knew who delivered me. The hospital knew who I was. They had my records. And it, it, it does appear that some of these things took place very last minute uh, in that sort of a manner. And, and it appears, as you might expect, that the the whole way this case was brought to the attention of the investigators, the attorney general's office and their investigators, was probably by hospital staff who are going, this doesn't seem right. This doesn't feel right at all. These women are coming in and they've had no prenatal care at all. We've never seen them before. They literally come into our hospital to adopt a child. They're, then it appears there's a very serious series of transactions there, and the child leaves with someone else. So it, it we'll see how it all shakes out, but the right. charges are certainly very serious in three different jurisdictions, and, uh, and um, hopefully it doesn't, it doesn't have a sad ending for the parents that adopted these children. Right. And as you said at the very top of this discussion, all of this is presumed innocent, innocent. until until the, the case goes through, until things come before a judge or a trial. Uh, all of this is just, um, we have what we have, you know, that the public has at this just point. Just allegations. And the records uh, and the sure. allegations. So uh, thank you so much, Greg, for helping us kind of understand some of this and, and some of the issues surrounding this. And, and I, I know in the next few days and weeks and months, we are going to get more and more information coming out about this. At the heart of this are children and families. And I know our uh, the Attorney General's office, they are trying to work out what is the best situation for all of this. Um, and I think they will. I yeah. think they will at the end of the day. Absolutely. All right. Uh, we are going to go into uh, news, traffic news and weather here in a minute. Coming back at the end of the news break, we are going to be speaking with Spencer Hall from Rocky Mountain Power about some ways we can shore up our homes uh, to prepare for the colder months of winter uh, coming up ahead of us. Thank you for listening to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back to Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. I am Robin Garfield, along today with Greg Scordis. I like that name, Inside Sources. Yeah, kind of cool. Are we Inside Sources? Yeah, I think so. Are I we the? That's why we're here. We're the inside. I don't. We I don't know. Today. Sometimes I'm an outside source, yeah, but I'll be. Go. I'll be an inside source for today. Uh, thank you for joining us on your Friday afternoon, heading into the weekend. Uh, I am heading to Portland this weekend. It's a three-day weekend. Is it? Yeah. Monday's huh. Columbus Day. Oh. Well, I mean, a t- lot of people don't celebrate Columbus mm-hmm. Day, but the courts do. I mean, attorneys, so you have I guess off? bankers and others know what the holidays are. So, oh, I just took the day off. We're heading to Portland tonight to go visit some family, uh, I guess, and we're taking our own three-day weekend. So this will be fun. Uh, it is uh, getting colder outside as well. We're starting to head. I mean, it just Much overnight, colder. it seems like this last week went from... 75 to 55 to 45. 35. 35. Yeah. I went on a run this morning with my dog, and she, bar- I mean, she's a tough dog, but we made it about a half a mile, and I thought, uh, you're not, you know, I had to turn around. She looked so cold. So on the line with us right now, we have Spencer I'm Hall. That, I'm glad that you didn't say so. I got her one of those little fluffy sweaters. <laughs> she, she has those a, are embarrassing. She has a rain jacket, but oh, we, we can talk about that equally one. Equally embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> Poor dog. <laughs> when it rains, she wears the rain jacket. It's got flowers on it. There you go. Um, so we have right now with us Spencer Hall from Rocky Mountain Power. Spencer, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Robin, and I want to see your dog in a little sweater. Oh, <laughs> you know, she's a big, fat dog. She's a big, fat <laughs> hound, and I bought her a rain jacket, and I put it on her when she's uh, when we go out running in the rain, uh, and it, it is pretty adorable. That's just Instagram fodder right there. But, um, Spencer, I appreciate you joining us uh, to talk about, well, on a personal note, we just bought a house. 
and are doing a ton of maintenance on it. It's an old house and everything is falling apart. So when I saw this press release this morning about safety tips for uh, preparing for winter, I thought, well, I hope my husband uh, is, is tuned in right now, Dan. I want you to listen to this because there are some actual safety tips when it comes to prepping your house for the winter and trimming trees that Rocky Mountain Power is saying we need to pay attention to. Uh, Spencer, why is it important as we're doing all these things to be cognizant of power lines and uh, you know, electricity? Tell, give us the best pitch on why people should care about safety when it comes well, to Well, it is, it is that time of year when everybody gets out in the yard and they start doing all their projects and everyone thinks they're an expert and or sometimes they just don't realize. And so it's a time of year when people get up on the roof, they start putting ladders up, they start running extension cords. And these are a lot of opportunities where you can have a frayed cord. You might not know, especially in an older home, Robin, this is something that I think a lot of people don't understand, is that um, when you're up on the roof or you're moving things around, you need to be very careful about where the lines are coming in and out of the home. If you make contact, you know, it can be, it can be fatal. So it's the time of year to treat every electric line with caution. So even if it's a low-voltage line, extension cords, those can be dangerous. When you're putting a ladder up, make sure that it's wooden or fiberglass. You know, a metal ladder can conduct electricity. Um, you know, don't use electrical equipment near the pool, obviously wet areas. But really, like, if you can, get a professional. Like, if you can have somebody come in, even stuff that you're doing around the home, there's, there's, it's just people assume they know enough to keep themselves safe. But we've seen enough accidents when people are doing things on their own that it's a, t- it's a good time to reach out, get a professional, have somebody come over and help you if you have any kind of a project. Um, also, underground power lines, they're just as dangerous as overhead lines. And sometimes people forget, make sure that you call before you dig. Um, not only is it the law, but if you make contact with one of those underground lines, it, it can be a big problem. Um, and then, oh, well, one last thing is, you know, when you're installing or adjusting your satellite dish, you know, football season's coming up. Sometimes folks get up and, and start you know, messing around with their satellite dish, that's another opportunity to make contact that you need to be aware of. Uh, we're joined this this afternoon now by Spencer Hall, spokesperson for Rocky Mountain Power. Spencer, uh, this is Greg Scordis. And it, it seems to me, just having lived in Utah for my entire life, that we always get this storm in late October or early November, yep. which includes incredibly heavy, wet snow that gets on the trees that still have leaves and still have something to support a large amount of snow, and they break, and chaos ensues in terms of our power. What can we do about that? I mean, I suppose you're not, you're saying don't take matters into your own hands, hire experts, but what can we do to, what can we do to avoid that problem, which we're, we're going uh, to see it in a month, I guarantee it. Absolutely, and maybe sooner. I mean, this cold snap has made conditions such that we could have snow. And, you know, you you might remember back in the spring we had the the spring version of that, where oh, we yes. had a late snow, the, the leaves were already out, and it caused a lot of problems because it, you know, branches broke down in backyards, and the restoration time took a long time simply because it was so many individual outages rather than one or two. So it's important that you go out and, and look over the course of the year as, as your trees have grown and your plants have changed, things might have moved. Look around and see if there's a branch that might be interfering with the lines. If it is, call us and we can come take care of it. Um, but then look around the rest of the yard. If you have a trampoline, if you have things that you're going to be weatherizing that maybe a big windstorm could catch and put it up into the, into the lines, that's something to watch out for. And uh, just, just making sure that if there is an outage that you're prepared. 
Make sure you have the app downloaded, the Rocky Mountain Power app. You can get updates and report outages. You can also text us and uh, get outages that way. Some people don't know that we, we need you to report the outages. Some people think, well, I'll let my neighbor do it. But every single uh, person who calls in helps us triangulate the problem and, and get service restored uh, quickly. So it's important that you, you report that if your power's out. And Spencer, we have just about a minute left. I would uh, like you to do me a personal favor here. If you could reiterate again for maybe my husband, who may or may not be listening, should homeowners be taking some of these matters into their own hands, or is it better to call, say, a professional to come help? But, you know, Tell us one more time in your professional I'm gonna opinion. This, I'm going to address this directly to Dan Garfield. Thank you. And uh, I'm going to say... Hey, listen, it's the time to get a professional to do this. You know, sometimes if, if you've got big projects and you're going to be dealing with electricity, as a personal rule, I always say I don't, I don't mess with electricity and I don't mess with, with plumbing. Those are the two things that I don't. I can do a lot of stuff around the home, but that's where I draw the line. And I, I, I recommend that to a lot of folks just because, you know, if you, you get up there, there's just so many ways to get hurt and so many ways that you can uh, make contact that it's it's just better to, Leave that to somebody who is uh, professionally trained. Thank so, Dan, you. this is your chance to maybe tackle some other project that you have, <laughs> let a professional come over and, and take care of some of the other things on the roof. I guess, Spencer, you're, you're glad you're not with Pacific Gas and Electric right now, having shut down uh, 600,000 homes uh, because of the potential for your wires to commit wildfires. Oh, yeah. Right. Well, that's a new thing. So this is a thing that all kind of Western utilities have in their tool belt now, that if the conditions are hot enough and the wind is high enough and, uh, you know, the humidity is such that, you know, we, we've identified a few spots in the state, certainly not on the level of California where more than a million customers are, are out. But in Utah, we've identified about six to 7,000 customers spread throughout the state and uh, if the conditions are right, we would notify those folks and we would shut the power off proactively. We don't foresee anything approximating what's happening in California, but we're certainly watching as wildfires become more of a problem. We want all of our customers to be safe, and uh, we're doing all kinds of things to protect so that we don't ever have a situation like they're having. We're installing weather systems or weather stations all along our system. We're going to have crews actually manning the poles and, and reporting back if, if the conditions got to a certain level. So we're working really hard to avoid anything like that. We'll be watching those conditions, but it's, uh, it's really something to see in California, a, a really hard situation right now. Spencer, we really appreciate you taking some time today to give our listeners and maybe someone personally in my family uh, this message about what's coming up. Uh, Utah weather can be very unpredictable. I really appreciate you giving us uh, some of your best tips for winter prep from Rocky Mountain Power. Thank you, Spencer. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. Coming up next, we are going to talk to uh, just chew the fat with Scott Howell over this big announcement today over the vice presidential debate, which is coming to Utah in October of 2020. It's really big news. It It really is. It really is big news. Stay tuned for that conversation here on Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Scoop Inside Sources. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Welcome back. I'm your host. Greg Scordis, this is Inside Sources. We have some really fun news that uh, has come out today, and I'm reading an article by Jordan Allred from the Deseret News. The University of Utah will host the 2020 vice presidential debate. 
I am assuming that means there's only one, and it's going to be right here in Utah. And it, it goes further to say Utah is the only Western state selected for one of three presidential debates and one vice presidential debate. So there are four debates that are going to happen sometime in fall of next year. This one's scheduled to be here in Utah at Kingsbury Hall at the university on October 7th. I assume that could change. But it's the first time Utah's participated in a national debate. We have on the line, and we're lucky to have this, Scott Howell, who is a uh, local political analyst. And I think, if I recall, Scott, you're also on the Utah Debate Commission. Is that right? I am, Greg. Uh, One of my many hats that I have the opportunity to, to wear in this great state. And I'll tell you what, we are so thrilled. I mean, this is the Super Bowl of politics that we have been fortunate enough to get in Utah and have the presidential debates going before, and then us with the vice president debate. It's just phenomenal, and it is a big deal. It's really a big deal because in the sense of uh, there are millions and millions of people internationally that watch these debates, and part of the uh, process of going through this, we had to guarantee so many hotel rooms. And Greg, it was like up in the 20,000 plus. And so we scrambled for two or three years. You know, we thought we were going to get a presidential debate last year. And it just didn't, I mean, uh, four years ago, excuse me, but it didn't work out. But uh, we we nailed this one. We have it. So Scott, I guess there must have been some sort of a process. I mean, tell us about that. How did how did Utah get selected for this, if you know, and it seems like you probably do know. And and it, it also appears, Scott, that there are only four debates, three for the presidents and one for the vice president, and we're the only Western state to host any debate. How did we get so lucky? Yeah. Well, it's a, it, truly, Greg, it is a team effort, and it started back with Professor Richard Davis of Brigham Young University, who actually put together the whole concept of the Utah Debate Commission. And the first co-chair was uh, Olene Walker. She and I had the opportunity to start the Utah Debate Commission and it was really a, a nonpartisan effort to get more debates of our congressional and our statewide running candidates. Uh, there was a period of time when the candidates, the mostly incumbents, said they weren't going to debate anymore. And so Professor Davis had this great idea. It just morphed out of that into this giant thing uh, that we wanted to um, participate and go after the um, presidential debates. And the process is they come out and do a site tour. It, it reminds me exactly. I was on the uh, Olympic Committee uh, back in 1998 when we first started the process, and it reminds me so much of that. Come out every year. ask you about the hotels. They ask you about the economy. They ask you about where, what things are going on. And surprisingly enough, when they came out four years ago, they wanted to hold it at Brigham Young University. And we actually went down there and, and met with the uh, uh, officials. And uh, there was a little issue on alcohol that prohibited us from uh, moving forward on that. And then they came out earlier this year and went up to the University of Utah and just fell in love with the campus, with the setting, and all of that. So we competed. There were about, uh, I think there were 10 or 15 different uh, people who wanted to hold it. And then it slowly narrowed down to there were six. And uh, we we got the vice presidential debate, which, by the way, is uh, people have said, well, are you sad you didn't get the presidential? No, not at all. This is just beginning. And to have the vice president and only have one debate, 
we actually are going to have a bigger audience than what we think would be uh, at, at the regular uh, presidential debate. So we're, we're thrilled. Yeah, that's true. There's only one vice presidential debate that's going to be held next year, and Utah is going to host that. Now, the venue, Scott, is Kingsbury Hall at on the University of Utah's campus, and I'm assuming that that, that venue has been looked over. But it, it occurs to me, just from what you're saying, that we could have held this at the I was going to call it the Salt Palace. That's how old I am. But you could have held this just about anywhere, you know, at, at the uh, yeah. Energy Solutions Arena. I mean, it, it Kingsbury Hall is a beautiful facility. Is it big enough for what we're trying to do? Well, it's interesting that you'd ask that question, Greg, because when you look at where the presidential debates are going to be, uh, September 29th of 2020, it's going to be the first one will be at the University of Notre Dame. Uh, the second one's October 15th at University of Michigan. The next one's October 22nd at Belmont U- University in Nashville, Tennessee. And the debate commission is very, very specific. They want this to be a civic engagement, and they want to get youth involved. And so they, they move forward, and they hold it on campuses, university campuses across the, the, the country. And that was part of the reason. And when you look at Kingsbury Hall, it fits their criteria. Oh, my goodness, when they showed us how they put the curtains down and, and the broadcast. Yeah, you know, what? another big challenge we had, Greg, was just uh, being able to facilitate the broadcast vehicles. It, it literally is going to take up parking and parking and parking stalls, and, and uh, there will be a little inconvenience up at the University of Utah during that time, but it will be well worth it. And the target audience, again, is the University of Utah students and, and really any student within the academic system of higher ed. Well, this is such an important thing for the university community. Um, and we had the Olympics here, what, 15 years ago, and uh, we certainly disrupted the university then for a little while, and things seemed to go okay. So so tell us this, Scott. We're, we're talking to Scott Howell from the Utah Debate Commission. It's here in Utah. It's at the University of Utah. How much does Utah play hey, into how it's going? Yeah. Are we losing you there, Scott? I think we may have lost Scott Howell, our guest. Maybe he can call back on our on our line. Um, we were talking about the University of Utah hosting the only 2020 vice presidential debate here at the University of Utah. It's scheduled to be on October 7th, 2020 at Kingsbury Hall. There are three presidential debates, and Scott just talked about those. It seems that the the theme seems to be uh, that these will be held at various universities. Of course, it's in the fall, so school will be back in session. I'm sure there will be a lot of buzz on campus. Um, we're the only Western state to host any debate, and we're the only state that's hosting the vice presidential debate. Uh, the University of Utah president, uh, Ruth Watkins, issued a statement that says as follows, I am delighted the Commission on Presidential Debates has selected the University of Utah as the host for the 2020 vice presidential debate. What an opportunity for us to showcase our state and for our students to experience this vital part of the political process. And I couldn't agree more. This is a huge thing for Utah. I was going to ask Scott, and I think maybe we can get him on later, how, what part um, of this debate Utah would play into it. That is to say, uh, are, are we going to have Utah commentators that are going to be part of the, the moderators, that type of thing? Or is it simply going to be Utah hosting this, which is big enough? But uh, maybe you can answer that if you can hear me, Scott. What what part does Utah yeah. play in how this debate actually goes down? Well, you know, we are really uh, 
at the mercy of the, I mean, the National Presidential Debate Commission. And what typically has happened before is they pick the moderators and they pick uh, the the backgrounds and, and they really do the production of it. So our our main responsibility is to sit back and enjoy all the all the historian uh, of the cards uh, we out of this, uh, holding it worldwide. And so our job is pretty easy. But I was just talking to your producer Robin, and he quickly pointed out to me that that's going to be a very busy time because every affiliate in the world will have reporters at this site and location. And uh, all the news outlets will be tremendously busy at that point in time. And, you know, I, I wanted to finish up. I'm, I'm sorry I lost you there. I, I wanted to just say that we are still working. It's a work in progress of determining how many seats are going to be there and, and exactly uh, how many people we're going to be able to hold. But, uh, again, I want to emphasize this is about getting involvement of uh, the university you know, those millennials, those 18-year-olds, to make sure that they get out and vote. And what an opportunity to, to witness a live vice presidential debate. Oh, my goodness, Greg. Can you imagine if we had that opportunity when we were younger to go see that? Oh, and, and what a coup. Thank you for the what the Utah Debate Commission has done here, Scott. You guys have, have pulled off something that uh, that's, uh, I think, on, almost on a par with getting the Olympics here. Uh, we're talking with Scott Howell, and thank you for joining us today, Scott. Utah has announced that we're hosting here the 2020 vice presidential debate on October 7th, 2020. So with that, we will take our next to last break. We're going to come back after this break with some of your random acts of kindness. We've had a chance to listen to those, and they're pretty interesting. Uh, We may even share a couple of our own. We'll be back after these few words. Inside Sources. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Inside Sources. I am your producer slash co-host for today, Robin Garfield. And I'm your other co-host, Greg Scordis. Thank you for being here today, Robin. It's nice to have a co-host. It, it, it's fun sometimes to step away from the production booth into the studio and, you know, we run around a lot as producers behind the mic. Sometimes it's fun just to sit down for a minute and talk about some of the stuff that, uh, the, the news of the day and some of these big issues. Uh, today we've gone over impeachment. We've talked about um, a really interesting event that's happening up at the state capitol building on um, uh, facilitating White Cane Day. White Cane yeah. Day. Uh, people who are blind uh, are going to be up there helping the, the rest of us learn how to navigate, you know. Tonight at 6 o'clock at the, at the Capitol, 15 booths. Yes, it's going to be great. Yeah, it'll be really interesting. We also just spoke with Spencer Hall about uh, some of the guidelines from Rocky Mountain Power on winterizing your house. And then uh, Greg Scott Howell just spoke joined with- us to talk about the huge vice presidential debate that was recently announced is going to be held next year at the University of Utah. Which is such big news. And yeah, like uh, I, I spoke with Scott up for a minute on the phone and I said, oh my gosh, it just occurred to me this is going to be insane for those of us in the news industry because Utah will be in the national spotlight. Oh, yeah, we'll have everybody here. And the whole world will watch this one because it's a, it's a whoever you, whatever side you're on, it's a big debate. It's yeah. a big election, I should say, coming up next year. Yeah, everybody says this year's the biggest one this year, but I really do feel like 2020 is going to be- It's going to be big. Going to be big. All right. Uh, for our next segment right now, we asked you at the beginning of the show to send us in your voicemails on random acts of kindness. I can't wait. That have been uh, committed at you. I don't know how the best way to say this. Random acts of kindness that have people have done on your behalf. Uh, we started this a few months ago when we were doing a lot of coverage on mental health and suicide prevention. We felt like we just need to rem- remind ourselves that there is, as a 
uh, Sam says in the Lord of the Rings movie, there is some good left in the world, Mr. Frodo. Uh, so we had a few really sweet voicemails. I'd like to actually just start off with these clips playing one from our very own Mary Richards, who sent me one of these uh, last week when I asked if anybody in the newsroom had one. Uh, she recorded this, and uh, I'm going to play it now. If you know Mary, Mary is one of the sweetest, kindest people, and I, I just thought the story was uh, very sweet. I'm Mary Richards. I'm a reporter here at KSL Radio. I want to tell you about how 13 years ago, my little brother died. And I don't remember how I told people or when. I was really just kind of numb. But a former college roommate drove all the way over, showed up at my door with flowers just to listen to me. And my best friend made the long drive to the funeral with her baby in tow to be there for me. These moments of kindness just touched my heart, changed me for the better, knowing that people cared about me in my time of grief. Wow. So these are sort of tearjerkers, too. I know, right? That one, that one chokes you up a little bit. I and know. you can tell it did her, too. Yeah. It, you just think, my, my mother passed away last year. And you remember the people who called in that came in. Even if someone you know has lost a loved one, a text can can make... All, All the, the difference, difference in the world. Yeah, it doesn't Absolutely. have to be something grandiose. So thank you, Mary, so much. This one came, this is a little bit lighter. This came in from a listener That's today. what we need. Yeah, a little lighter because there's a, the next one is a little heavier. But let's, let's play this one. I really thought this was sweet. Here we go. Hi, my name is Andy, and I'd just like to give a shout out to my neighbor, Ed, who uh, sneaks over and wheels my garbage cans in after collection each week. Uh, thanks, Ed. <laughs> Good for Andy. What a sweet guy. What, and what a nice neighbor. You know, I, I have the exact same thing in my neighborhood where a, a, a little kid, probably little, 13 or 14 years old, comes every day when the when it's garbage day and takes my garbage out to the curb. If I've forgotten, and he always takes it back uh, after the garbage person has come. So uh, that's a random act of kindness that's, that's completely... Uh, I mean, I don't even know why he does it, except that he's just a sweet kid. Oh, I didn't know what neighborhood you live in, because it's always Monday night at 11 o'clock. My husband and I both slap our foreheads and go, ah, we got to, ah, to take the garbage out. <laughs> so yeah. I need, I need uh, an Ed in my life to wheel the garbage cans out. Uh, the next comment that we got in really kind of took me by surprise, and I uh, was really touched. It was the father of, if you remember this story, uh, Greg, it was just a horrific story. Uh, I was trying to get some of the details uh during the break, there was a, a double homicide in 2017. Uh, Riley, this is so. This is Riley Powell's father who called in. Uh, the, the The teens were not found at the end of this, but I wanted to play his comment because he called into our line and left this message. And then we can talk about it a little more afterwards. Good morning. Um, on December 30th, 2017, my son Riley Powell and his girlfriend Bridget Addison went missing. Amanda Hunt, Bridget's aunt put the word out on Facebook, and we had hundreds of people help search for them. The outcome wasn't what we wanted, but it showed us that there are still good people in the world willing to help us. I was you know, just... and that's that's an understatement. I mean, you, you that had to be so huge for that family, because imagine, you're a parent, I'm a parent, imagine looking for your child. I mean, and, and Riley and, and his girlfriend were, were not kids but they were young they were they were they were kids in almost every other way but to the, to see how that Utah County community came and rose to the occasion and came and helped them try to find those those kids and what those parents were going through but just having that support behind them had to be huge well i was remembering um i don't know how many people know this but my nephew was Brennan Hawkins uh, this is 11 oh gosh how many years ago 2007 he was the boy scout that went missing in uh the the Uintas 
a huge search was called. I was actually serving a, a mission at the time for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Seattle. I got a phone call one night. 2,000 people showed up yeah. to look for him. Right. Uh, they put the call out. So this really, you know, and they, our outcome was they found Brennan. He was fine. Uh, he'd been in the woods for four nights. Oh, I remember that. You remember this? He was the cutest kid in the world. Cutest kid. He's he's now <laughs> in he his. Survived. He's twenty five now. Right. He's my nephew. I love him right. to death. But you know, and that outcome was good. But having something like this, such a tragedy, but being able to see the silver lining of the people who came out, right. who who searched, the people on you know, she, he said she put a message on Facebook and the support. It just makes something tragic and awful better. Right. Um, to remember these, these moments. Um, we have to go to break here in a second, but maybe after we get back from the commercial break, Greg, I can get you to share maybe a random act of kindness from your some, that someone's done All for right. you. All right. He's thinking about it. I have one I can share. Uh, we'll, I'm we'll looking wrap up, forward to that. Oh, good. We'll wrap up the show in the next segment. Thank you so much for listening here on Inside Sources. Uh, Robin Garfield and Greg Scordis. Uh, stay tuned. Coming up uh, to, on Inside Sources. Stay tuned. Thank you. Bye. Inside Sources. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Inside Sources. We are wrapping up this two and a half hour show right now. Uh, I'm Robin Garfield along here with Greg Scordis. And if you note, Mr. Kaplan has booted me out of my seat in favor of his upcoming show. So if you're watching us, I'm over here in the corner now. And the cameras, Bigfoot over the here. cameras don't the cameras don't cover me. I think my mom's been watching me on TV. So. <laughs> yeah, mom, hu- mom, I'm still here. <laughs> my husband's been texting, and it's it's always so encouraging. Uh, so we uh, were talking in our last segment about random acts of kindness, uh, kind of li- trying to lighten the mood a little bit. Gosh, it's been impeachment. It's been tax returns it's been financial reports it's been this abortion not abortion adoption Adoption. excuse me adoption story uh in in utah this week a lot of heavy stuff so we played a few listeners had called in and left uh, stories in their life when someone had done something kind for them in their lives and greg i asked if you could think of one uh do you have anything off the top of your head that you can share you know i I would say this and it's not necessarily a random act of kindness but and i'm not i'm not pandering but I'm involved in the drug court process here in Utah, and there have been so many people, including judges, uh, therapists, um, prosecutors, defense attorneys, people who have come together, and and a lot. So much of this is on their own time because it's not. We don't deal with these kids in drug court during eight to five hours. Uh, their evening activities, their weekend activities, their things, trying to help the people who are addicted get out of that cycle of addiction. The Salt Lake County started as helping them get um, expungements done and things like that. But it's just, and we have these events uh, and people just come. They donate their time. We have dozens of lawyers who donated their time to come do free expungements, to do free, um, help people clear their warrants. It's We call it pro bono work. But we 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 literally filled the room, and we've done this. I think three or four times now. We continue to do that, but I mean, I'm going to sh- give a shout out to the legal community. I really am, and I know it's, it's, it's maybe a little bit self-serving, but lawyers and judges have come forward and done some things with this drug court community, and more more recently, the homeless community on this Operation Rio Grande. Uh, that I I I, I think I not be well served if I didn't shout out to that group. Well, and to those people who they they served that was a massive random act of kindness on that day to come in and have someone in the legal community that could help them out with something that they probably thought was hopeless or was never going to get help for that is it that is such an incredible undertaking 
What about you? What about me? Oh, I'm I thought put of, you on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about so many, especially. You called out your husband a few times today, so maybe you've got maybe you can share something. Oh, about him. if anybody knows my husband Dan, he is just a walking random act of kindness. He is. He is. In fact, I last night I wasn't feeling well, and he ran to the store and bought me some almond joys, which is my favorite candy. Uh, without being asked, it was very random and very kind. Uh, he is. Uh, yeah, I, I tease him for his desire to do everything by himself, as uh, including housework. But he is. Uh, always, you know, we, we have almond joys are your, are your I love go to. Almond joy. That, that's your comfort food. That's my comfort food. Good for you. Uh, almond joys and uh, ramen. Those are my two uh, comfort <laughs> foods when I've got them. You know, I was thinking of a few. You're you know, a cheap date. I am a cheap. Yeah, really. I just need some candy and some noodles. Right. Uh, I was thinking about just when I think of random acts of kindness, I think of quick, you know, you were saying earlier, vignettes, small things. I remember when I had our first son. Uh, and I was pregnant with with our second. We have three boys. They're each two years apart. And the first three or four years were just, I don't even remember anything except for this moment. I was at the post office in downtown Salt Lake with a two-year-old and a very large pregnant belly mailing off a package. And my two-year-old was crawling all over me, up the walls, up the counter, pulling things down. I was on the verge of tears. And a woman walked over and just took him by the hand and said, here, I'll, I'll play with you for a minute. She didn't go far. She, she must have been a mom because she knew I would have freaked out if she'd have walked out of my line of vision. But she just walked with him over to a counter, got on a piece of paper, started coloring with him for five minutes so I could mail a package. It was probably in her day. She forgot it. I don't even think she remembered after she did it. But that moment stuck with me. It has stuck with me for so many years. And, and I want to be able to be that person. And I, my children are a little bit older now. I have five, seven, and nine. And when I'm out in public now, I'm looking for parents who are struggling. So I can just say, and, and I thought she did it the right way. Like I said, she didn't take my son by the hand and say, here, come with me and lead him off into the distance, which I think would make a lot of parents nervous, but just made eye contact with him, picked him up for a minute, you know, knew, I could obviously tell this woman had been with children before because she knew the struggles I was going with. I was exhausted. I was pregnant. And and those are the moments, I think, in, in the midst of all these news cycles, in the midst of, of the, the terrible news we're getting out of, you know, we're, there's uh, wars going on, all these, all the, the, the travesties going on in the world. Remembering that, again, that quote, that's one of my favorite quotes, that there is some good left in the world, Mr. Frodo, uh, and that people are inherently, they want to serve. Like you were saying, Greg. There's there's still a lot of good that's going on. And, you know, in, in our legal community, and I, I won't harp on it too much more, we, we see the worst in people. I mean, nobody comes into my office when they're having a good day. It's always the the worst situation they're having. And um, we come together. We really do. And and Utah's great. I mean, when, when my uh, wife uh, had a baby and was sort of unable to do much, the, the neighborhood, the ward, I'll, I'll, I'll just say it the way it is, mm-hmm. the church comes in and nobody said anything. Nobody knew anything. We weren't even particularly active. And they came in and they brought us food and they took care and they do that routinely. I mean, it's something that happens all the time and it is random and it is an act of kindness and it is something that, I don't know, maybe it happens all over the country. But certainly in our community, you can almost expect it. You can almost expect what's going to happen in those situations. Well, and it, it's been it's been really a joy to see that. When we learned, when my mom passed away last April, um, I was living in California and coming home, you know, a lot of my friends didn't know. We we'd, we flew to Utah for the funeral and it was just a traumatizing week. I was so surprised by the people who I barely knew who, like I said, sent a text. And you wouldn't think, you know, that's not very much. I wish I could do more. If you can't do anything, send a text. I still remember the people 
from that week who just people I barely knew. Hey, I'm so sorry. And sometimes people don't know how to address these issues. They don't want to make people uncomfortable. They don't want to this or that. But just these small little random acts. You know, at the end of the show, we only have a few more minutes. Um, we've talked about, like, again, so many heavy issues. It's, I just wanted to end our Friday afternoon on something positive. On something positive. Uh, you know, and, and a, a phenomena that's been happening in our country that's just been terrible are these mass shootings. And every time you see one, it breaks your heart. But when you see what, how these communities are brought together each time and how people are banding together and how these students are getting together and how they're, they're, they have counselors and they have groups and they have political uh, people involved in that. And just the fact that it, you know, people think you go into a community and you upset it like that and it's going to destroy the community. You know what? It, it almost does the opposite. It brings people together, and you see the, the, the unity of some of these groups and some of these people, and um, it's really refreshing. I mean, it, it, it's horrible that it has to happen after such a tragic event that you have to see that, but it's nice to know that after a tragic event, universally in this country, people band together, they come together, and they try to support the people that are the victims of that event. Well, while you're talking, a, a quote just popped into my head. Fred Rogers is one of my heroes. There just came out with a movie, <laughs> or I think Tom Hanks is about to star in a, yeah. in a movie. Or it has, he should. Yeah, right. absolutely. Uh, there's a quote that I love. He said, this is a quote from Mr. Rogers. He said, when I was a boy, I would see scary things in the news, and my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. Yeah. And that's true. You know, you see these horrific news stories, and you got to see the silver lining. There's tragedy. There's awful, you know, but there's always people donating. Uh, you, the blood, you know, the lines for the blood dry, uh, blood banks go out the door. Um, it, it really does remind us that at the end of the day, we can be part of this. We can be part of something better, part of something good. Uh, for our weekend, maybe we can all go out and just try to do one good thing for our neighbors. Well, hey, Robin, I enjoyed working with you today. I'm coming back on Monday and Tuesday of next week. We're going to hand off the very great podium to our guest there, to the host, uh, Jeff Kaplan, who does a, I don't know how you do this every day, a three-hour news show, but it'll be it'll be interesting to listen to you. Just Thank- juggling. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Have a good weekend, everyone. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.